in progress. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond, hosted by yours truly, Mike McDermott, along with Wes Beyer. So today, we're going to be talking about the National League Cy Young Award race, as well as recent interview that I did with Bryce Jarvis about his move to the bullpen, and we'll preview the first game of the Padres series tonight, which I will be attending in person. No, not in the press box. I'll be uh, attending as a patron, basically, tonight. And as usual, I will do my best to go off topic and you will try to avoid us going off topic. It's the game I play every every single episode of this, Michael. I hope you're having a good morning. I enjoyed the off day yesterday, even though it wasn't really an off day. I know you did that interview with Bryce Jarvis. That was fantastic. I recommend you go read the article, which is at pull up the link. Yeah. Oh, we'll do that later. We'll talk about inside the, the Diamondbacks. Thing. You'll see it later. Michael does great work. Uh, very illuminating uh, interview. So getting right into it, the Cy Young race. Uh, Gallon has been pretty mortal so far the last two months, month and, month and a half. Um, when was his first bad start of the year? Like mid-June? I, I would say the Toronto series was really the, kind of the turning point. The first yeah. start of the second half. I mean, he's still... He's been, he hasn't been bad per se he's been mediocre like you're about to say um he still hasn't put himself completely out of the race though uh i mean there's really there's a very there's not as much delineation as you'd expect there are some players with lower year raise uh lower individual stats but the overall package that he has is still he's in the mix so when we look at the nationally signed young candidates these are the top five so we pulled the, up all five of them on stat head Worth your while if you want to. If you have eight dollars to spend, you want to compare baseball stats, or you can just ask us to do it. Yep, I've already spent the eight dollars, and we're charging it as a company expense. But anyway, these are your five Cy Young candidates. So you got Logan Webb, Justin Steele, Spencer Strider, Zach Gallon, and Blake Snell. So we're just gonna pull down here and compare stats. Obviously, got our wars, our game start innings, ERA. And strike uh, ERA plus strikeout strike walks and then the the percentage stats for both of them. Well, just to correct myself right off, the only stats he leads in are you know he's tied with Logan Webb for games and games started. Doesn't lead any of those uh, at this point. Uh, yeah. I mean, right now, just looking at it, Logan Webb stands out with the the lowest amount of walks and walk percentage uh, in inning pitch. His ERA is a little higher. Blake Snell, just based on war and ERA, like that's, you know, if you're more of a stat head, that immediately puts him in first place for you. Although he does not have quite the same amount of starts. I mean, I think he missed a start or he hasn't had his. I just think he uh, hasn't had his start yet. I don't remember him. Yeah. Well. This is. And Blake Snell's not a guy who goes deep in the starts. You can look at that innings toll. Yeah. His toll is, is pretty low. Yeah, he's behind uh, everyone there, other than Justin Steele. Uh, I really yeah. just like I don't. I, the race is still open. I mean, I really don't think that the Cy Young race has been decided yet. If Zach Allen doesn't turn around, then he's not going to win the Cy Young. Um, you you got to think that Justin Steele, uh, that ERA plus is uh, very impressive. One seventy one. That means he's been seventy one percent better than the average pitcher. And uh, I mean, it's 
Like, what do you, I mean, besides the obvious of not be mediocre, what can, what's going to, how can Gallon really regain the lead and get back into the mix of being, you know, getting a Cy Young? Basically, you need Blake Snell's ERA to regress towards his, uh, Snell and uh, Steele's ERAs to regress towards their FIP. The thing that Gallon has going for him is he may lead the league in innings pitched. He and Webb will probably figure out. He and Webb will be duking it out for the uh, innings pitch crown for the season. And of course, uh, similar strikeout walk rates. And I think uh, Gallon's one percent higher on both strikeouts and walks. But kind of the thing here is Gallon's also got to do a better job of preventing home runs. Yeah, he's been his last start was a first time he hadn't given up a home run in quite a while. That's you know, kind of you, looking looking at uh, Spencer Strider, the biggest thing that holds him back is he was on the injured list briefly, but that strikeout rate is just, I mean, you've seen the man pitch. He he just has Strider absolutely you're thinking, filthy you're stuff. Thinking of, you're thinking of Steele, not Strider. Strider has been healthy all season. Has he? I thought, oh, no, I was thinking Max Freed. Take that back. Um, Freed's not even in the discussion. Yeah, Max Freeze nine said, "I'm just that's, that's who I was thinking of who just came off the the, the IL." Um, I mean, it's really he's not going to have the the inning pitched, or you know, the I I would be very surprised if he can you know make up the difference in uh, innings pitched. I mean, like what he's twenty twenty two innings behind uh, Logan Webb. So, like, I mean, that's a couple starts right there. So, I don't think he's ever going to overtake the lead. His strikeout numbers are very flashy, though. I don't know the last time I saw a guy strike out 200, you know, batters in, in a year period. And we're in August 10th and we're in August. So like that, that, that tells you Spencer Strider's future is he's out of those five guys. I think he had probably has the highest ceiling. So um, the thing that, so the thing that kind of hurts Strider's ZRA is pushing four. Yeah. Well, uh, you got two sixes and then mid th- uh, three threes. The other guys race. But like I said, I don't think Steele's ER and Snell's ERAs are going to stay because Steele's going to hit a workload limit pretty soon. In fact, he's already going to yeah. set a he's setting a career high in innings pitched in the major leagues this season. And you look at Snell; that walk rate is going to do something to his ERA eventually. Yeah, Blake Snell seems like he's really due for some regression. I mean, he's not a bad pitcher by any by any by any means. Like it's not like it's not unusual to be, uh, you know as good as he's shown, it's just, I just don't see it staying that low for the rest of the season. That walk rate is really high. Nearly double the next guy. Yeah. I mean, like that's the, that's probably the biggest number that stands out looking at this is he's got like what he's got triple the walk rate of uh, Logan Webb. So (laughs) you got to think he's due for some regression at some point. The strikeouts are right there with everyone else. Um, yeah, but I would think he's he is due for some some regression. Uh, so we're gonna move on here, uh, move even further down. We're gonna show more stats, and really, we're only showing the FIP because that's the first regression stat. And then the uh, Baseball Reference doesn't have X X FIP, so we'd have to go to Fangrass for that. I'm gonna but, pull that up. Uh, so we're gonna pull up here. So here's your ERA plus, and obviously this is where Strider gets hurt. His ERA plus is not exceptional. Compared to everyone else who's at one like gallons at one twenty eight, okay. So if you look at FIP, so you can see Snell's ERA is a full 
run lower than his FIP. Expect this to regress. Because again, five walks per nine innings. Yeah, he's just avoided, you know, serious damage and runners in scoring position. And you got to think that that's going to, that's not going to last. I mean, yeah, there are guys that regularly outperform their FIP. Um, He's not one of them. So I'm looking at Steele. Steele has only given up nine home runs. Looking at, so that explains I have why Steele up on Fangraphs right now, and his XERA is almost a run higher. His FIP is uh, half a run higher. His XFIP is a full run higher. So I would expect some regression from Steele, too. Yeah, and then Gallon, is, his FIP is 20 points below his ERA. ERA and uh, only Logan Webb has a lower strikeouts per a uh, lower walk rate. Sorry, Gallon is third in strikeouts per nine. It's like one of those things where if Steele and Snell regress, and I think Gallon regress back towards their peripherals, I think you're going to see Gallon surge back in the race. Young talk. So we're gonna we're gonna take a look at Gallon's numbers real quick. So Gallon has the second best strikeout minus walk rate behind Spencer Strider at 21%. Logan Webb's at 20. And typically strikeout and walk rates tend to translate year to year, but we're not talking about future ERA. We're talking about today's ERA. So you look at Gallon, XFIP is at 350. XERA at 391, although, like I said, uh, Gallon seems to outperform his X stats almost every year, with uh, 2021 being the rare exception where he didn't outperform his peripherals, but... I blame the team for that. Oh yeah, that's uh, that. That definitely was the team, and I mean the defense was not nearly like. I mean, as all aspects, uh, the team wasn't. I mean, he's gonna out, he's gonna outperform his his peripherals, you know, just because he has a great defense behind him. Generally, um, I would say the D-backs are above average. I don't know if there would be great defense, but it depends on who you're talking to. I mean, which uh, yeah. Metric you're using. I'd put their outfield defense as one of the one of the better ones, uh, depending on who's who's out there. When we have our best defenders out there, uh, no, no, I like not, I said the not Coriel. Dimebacks outfield defense isn't as good as you think. Yeah, that's one thing is I would I would like to see them improve in that area. They've been really uh they do not look like a good outfield defense the last uh month. Like McCarthy um, and Carroll's arms are so bad, it's out. Wang, it's taking away the runs they saved by having above average range, basically. Yeah. Yeah, looking mm-hmm. at Gallon's uh peripheral stats out on Fangrass, having from his XERA is 3.91. His uh FIP on there is 3.15. I don't know if it's the same on that. Okay, and then his X FIP is 3.5. And he's been worth four war. I mean, the way Gallon's going to change his XFIP is to improve his ground ball rate. Although, like I said, yeah. Gallon's been get, getting uh, a lot more f- non-ground ball contact. I don't know if that's a case of line drives versus fly balls. We can take a look. We scroll down here. And, okay, so Gallon's line drive rate is way up compared to last year. Yeah. That's the main thing. The fly ball rate is pretty much close to his career average. Home runs of fly ball is similar to last year. That's kind of like the main major change in balls and play average last year is basically a 6% jump in line drive rate, but you knew that was coming. Yeah. And I really wouldn't expect him to 
have maintained such a low batting average and balls in play as he did last year is really because he doesn't have the, the 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 pitching profile necessarily like his ground ball rate and he would go up. Oh, it's gone down. Okay, is- yeah, yeah. I would expect his ground 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 ball rate to like increase from where it is. Um, because that's like way below his career norms. Yeah, we're talking four like percent below ten percent. His lowest and the lowest career ground ball rate. But maybe because yeah, I don't know what the usage I, is necessarily. It's he doesn't really have a pitch that induces a lot of ground balls necessarily. Maybe the curveball. Yeah, that. Yeah, that's. Uh, I really don't. I. I mean, the real thing, like he Dallin needs to see his team perform behind him. Um, it's just. I mean, there's like this thing that it just is one of those periods where it's like everything's going wrong that can go wrong, other than you know a a ton of injuries. If we've been help, we've been somewhat uh, spared some of the injuries that the other teams in the NL West have seen, but it's still like this. I don't, I, I mean, that's the only area of improvement they can really have is just like have the players improve behind him. All right. So we're going to shift over to here. This is an article from Jack Summers. We're talking about the second ward race a couple days ago. And we're going to flip over here and we're going to once again, plug, the thing, since I write for it, we can plug as many times as I want. You can go over there and by go, clicking si.com slash MLB slash Dimebacks, but don't do it until after you subscribe. Subscribe first, article second. Those are the clear priorities. And leave a comment and hit that notification bell so you get the latest updates from our channel. So yeah, going to the uh, is a collection of Scion. So Gallon has the highest average war between B war and F war. So I think down will get signing votes for his F war total, which is FIP, which is based off his FIP, which um, FIP. And it's obviously there's a lot of calculation there. It's not just necessarily the raw number, but also the compared to the average player. Obviously I didn't pull up gallons FIP minus on fan graphs. Okay, so it's at 74. So that's 26% better than league average. There's some real... It's One thing that stands out to me just looking at this is it's very odd to see, like, no disagreement between Fangraphs and, and DREF with Logan Webb there. But that that the difference between Spencer Strider's B-War uh, versus F-War is significant. That I mean, that's, uh, you know, 1.5. That's a pretty big jump i mean i I mean i know some it's just how they calculate the statistic but still it's always interesting to me like when you see either like a huge disjunction between the two stats and when they're exactly the same which you don't see very often usually there's a little bit of disagreement like you see with steel there of like you know a little bit not 1.5 or the same so the thing with strider strider is a fly ball pitcher because he throws a lot of fastballs up in the zone yeah and is uh he's giving up more home runs this year. So well, that's... not only that, his defense is not his outfield defense is not very good behind him. Uh, Acuna, they talk people talk about him like he's a five tool player. Uh, his defense is very lacking this year. I think that has probably hurt his statistics somewhat. Uh, just having poor outfield defense behind him. Um, I mean, you can't defense a home run though. Yeah, well, that's that's absolutely true. 
but aside from that, like, uh, he has not been, uh, he's not had the best outfield defense behind him. So I would say Gallon has better, has had better outfield defense behind him than Spencer Strider. Um, yeah. and that kind of, it kind of does, uh, show in the statistics behind like this, the disagreement between the two stats. Yeah. Cunha is minus five runs above average on stat cast in terms of defensive run saves. He's minus one. Yeah. And miss maybe because of the ACL injury, but his rank, but this is the first year his range totals in the negative. Basically. I, he looks very much like he's trying to avoid injury at times. Like the way he, he goes about just, like just on outfield defense, I uh, you, you see a lot of balls drop in in front of him, and it's like it, it to me, it's it's almost a similar thing going on with Patel, where it's like you know the guy has the the physical ability to get to that ball, but they're not playing all out like they did when they were younger because it's very much you know they got back for one, but two, getting injured is you know their bat is more important to the, the team than their defense per se. Yeah, you see Cattell go full effort when there's a run on the line. Yeah, when it matters, like a, he does it. He, He's been much better about distinguishing between the two of a, okay, this isn't a big deal. I don't need to run out and, you know, be Corbin and potentially injure myself, you know, running down this ball versus, oh, hey, this does matter. I'm going to play all out or, you know, guess what? My teammates are going to be really pissed off at me if I don't. So, I mean, Cattell thankfully has a majority now to, to distinguish between those two. Feels like his best plays are when he's ranging up the middle with two outs and a runner at second. But that's basically what what we're talking hinting at here. So anyways, tell it's like uh defensive workers side and West brings a good point. So that's kind of the thing with Strider. Also, the home runs have been a problem. I think teams are getting a better idea of how to hit him. Although like I said that would also but that doesn't explain the FIP either. Yeah, it, you know, Strider's an interesting one because uh, I have not seen enough of his starts, but he does not doesn't quite look the same as he did last year. Uh, I mean, he, if you remember I when mean, he started against Atlanta, when the D-backs played Atlanta, he, he put he put the D-backs down for six innings. Yeah, and then uh, a couple guys got on. Canzone hit a first row homer, and then Rivera hit an opposite field first row homer, and he was, that was four runs at snap of a finger. Yeah, he looked very hittable uh, in the one start that I've seen, at least towards the end of the game. Um, but in like, I forget who I think I forget who was starting against uh, earlier this year. But it just he I I don't know the pitches don't look they have as much snap on them this year. Like it just doesn't. It looks like he's a little bit off. Yeah, it's possible. Like I said, stuff tends I mean, to you're fluctuate a little bit year to year. When you're throwing that hard, it's also like very, very slight differences. Like, you know, something that you wouldn't think is noticeable. Like that actually can be massive uh, with a guy with stuff like that. Like the I mean, difference between the plate and not hitting the plate. We're talking like a fraction of an inch on the ball or something like that. But anyways, yeah, we're I mean, like, uh, anyways we're, yeah. let's get back to the Cy Young, so. Tom Tango's Cy Young points predictor actually has Gallon edging out Steele, 68 to 66. Although that'll be interesting. So we're going to pull up the list. Zach Wheeler comes in there. Zach Wheeler's another guy who gets penalized by his defense because, well, 
Just look at their left fielder. Yeah. Kyle Schwarber is there for his bat. And Kyle, the bat only works when it, he gets his hoagies. Yeah, Schwarber is is like only like an outfielder in the most technical definition of he is in the outfield. That's I wonder it. if he like would be the not, DH, DH of their outfield was healthy. Yeah, that's the, the real thing. And I know Harper is really not going to be. I mean, there's someone besides Harper there. Well, Harper but Harper is signed here a massive, a massive contract. You want him to stay healthy. The only way he's probably really going to stay healthy is by keeping a DH. I mean, he can't even stay healthy as a DH. Yeah. So, yeah, but having him in left is definitely not helping. <laughs> helping well, Harper's going to be the answer to what would what would have been the greatest career ever had since Bonds if he could stay healthy? Yeah. You said Byron Buxton, but the answer is Bryce Harper. You know, Harper definitely had the potential, uh, but we just forget first half, like first half his career, Barry, like what kind of player he was because he was he'd steal bases. I'm saying since Bonds. Steal, since Bonds, yeah. I really don't. There really is no one. I mean, if you gave Mike Trout more stolen bases and more home runs, you'd have early career Bonds. I mean, the thing about Trout is Trout was healthy the first half of his career. Now he's yeah. not as healthy. But obviously, or if you had, not, not if you had twenty twelve uh, trout every year, that's uh, Bonds. Like take his best season, that's Barry Bonds. So really, just like just insane how good the man was. Looking at the rest of them, I mean, I don't see. Um, I, I it's a good sign that Tom Tango's uh, and just by like all the measures, would probably end up going to Gallon. He's gonna have to turn around. The team's got to turn around. It's like. Team record's not going to matter That's, because the Marlins were a bottom 10 team and Daniel Contra still saw on the Cy Young. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I don't think that it's as much of a factor uh, as it used to be. I mean, clearly sports writers have moved away from like, oh, let's get to the guy with most wins because that's just the most useless stat to measure a pitcher by. If you don't know that, um, go read the last 20 years of baseball journalism and analysis because they all say the same thing. If you are using team stats to measure an individual, you don't know what you're talking about. That's like um, saying a guy's at this point, gets RBIs. I mean, if I had to give it to, you know, I don't know if Gallon, it's a toss up between him, uh, Steele, and Snell. Or no, him, Webb, Webb and Snell. I'll take that back. I think Logan Webb has, I think, like I said, Gallon has staying power. Strider, if his ERA can start regressing towards his FIP. And then yeah. uh, Logan Webb, I think, are your top three candidates moving forward. I think Steele's going to fall off as he tires. And then Blake Snell's walk rate is, uh, I think, going to catch, catch up, up with him. Maybe not tonight, yeah. but perhaps after that, after the night. Like, I don't see him sustaining his 261 ERA with a walk rate of five per nine. Yeah, that doesn't seem that's going to catch up to him, especially against a team like Arizona, where if they're going to walk five guys, like you can expect at least five stolen bases and then five runners left in scoring position. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually a good second to the preview of San Diego, but I think we should talk about Jarvis next. Yep. So I interviewed Bryce Jarvis over the phone yesterday. The article is already out. For anyone interested in reading that. So we're going to pull that up. 
you should put the link in the description of this video. Yeah. We're going to put, yes. Well, as what it says, as we're going to put the link in the description. So I talked to him yesterday about the bullpen, th- uh, the bullpen move. So we're going to pull up that quote first. So let's, yeah, let's, uh, let's first get rid of this ad. I can't see it. Here, I'll read it. It's like I can't see the ads in the way and I can't see it without twisting my head out of shot. Okay, there we go. I just blindly clicked. So now we can share it. All right, so main point is, but for the rest of this year, it sounded like their main need was going to be bullpen. So this is just a 2023 thing. For one. So that's the first myth we're going to bust. This is not permanent. Just this year. It's this, it sounds like they're trying to find a role for him to contribute to the team right now without disrupting. And like, I, I mean, I think his stuff that's- will play out of the bullpen. Um, and then he can contribute immediately, or at least in the very, very near future, 2023, you wouldn't make this move if you weren't expecting to call him up. Who remembers Kevin Jarvis being on the D-backs 2006? When I found out that Kevin Jarvis was dad, it's like, oh, I remember him. He pitched for the D-backs. Yeah. It wasn't very good. Yeah, I actually did not realize that uh, Bryce was Kevin Jarvis's uh, son, and I did not. I barely remember Kevin Jarvis. I think I, I think I went to one of his starts, actually, or one of his games, one of his appearances. I do remember him coming out in the... Uh, I was like, the year I went to the most games was 2006, so I might actually have seen his dad play. Uh, it'd be interesting to, you know, also see his son play. Yeah, I think uh, son's got a little bit better. Yeah, career. I would think he's going to have a better career. Um, I mean, this is like, this seems like a way for them for them to contribute, for to get him to contribute to the major league roster this year and get him on a major, you know, major league team as soon as possible. Um, I think his stuff right now will play better as a reliever um yeah it's more so getting in getting getting pit it's like you need to know if this guy can get major league hitters out first so yeah you see this adam wainwright for example wade miley was used this way uh actually no wiley came up as a starter and then they used him out of the bullpen because they're yeah they didn't want to send him down and he they didn't want to waste his bullets and it turns out wade miley was the best pitcher on the team that year yeah I mean, he makes a very good point there. Is there's lots, lots of starters have gotten their feet wet by uh, appearing in the bullpen. Uh, it's not the end of the world or the end of him being a starter. Uh, I mean, of course, we will revisit this if that becomes the case where he does permanently convert to uh, relief. But I don't. It doesn't sound like that's what they're doing. Uh, there's a lot of doom and gloom on X uh, when the the move was announced. Yeah, I, I think what? that's. I don't myth see. Number- I think I don't see it as an issue at all. So this is myth number two. This is not a seamless process. Now some guys can do it. Max Scherzer yeah, could guys. not do it. Max Scherzer could not do it. The Dodgers yeah. tried to get him to do it, and his arm basically ran out of juice in two thousand in twenty twenty one, and it kind of started to domino the end of their season. I mean, for some starters, like you have a very particular process like one of the things that made randy coming out of the bullpen the times that he did in the playoffs so impressive is i think i don't think he had 
much of any relief appearances in the the 10 years prior to that. And he did it with like, he's a guy who needs a lot. He has a lot of preparation guys who have put the work in to prepare as a starter for some, it's very hard to, to change that the mentality you need to be a relief pitcher. I mean, RJ could also throw 120, 125 pitches on a given day. And he basically, and he could, um, in the way that, uh, Game six went. They were up so big. That's like let's save Stand some bullets matter. for tomorrow. Let's save bullets for tomorrow. Like RJ yeah. was still throwing mid nineties on no rest. Yeah, that's just that World Series game and blowing fastballs by guys. But like, just just like you know, the thing is, is it's really Randy Johnson is an exception. Most guys can't can't do that. Some guys can, no problem. There are very much some pitchers who are like, yeah, sure, sure, skip. I'll do whatever you want me to. And sure, I, I love. Twice I love, three days rest in that series. I love uh, Jarvis's attitude towards it. It's, he's game to help the team no matter what. That's exactly what you want to hear. It's, that gives him extra points for makeup as a, a as a prospect. Um, he says he you know like that's really important. What he says right there covers extremely well for me in my start, especially this year. I've really not felt any fatigue or soreness at all. That was one of the things that D-backs had the ultimate confidence in. They said we wouldn't be confident in very many people making the switch at this point in the year, but we have the ultimate faith in your physical preparation, everything you do off the field to handle this change and workload. That says a lot to me that, one, the team believes in him that much, and two, that he's totally game for it. And the fact that he's recovered quickly. If you wanted to read the quote, I could have just, you could have asked and I could have played it. Yeah. That's okay. I'm I'm just being facetious. I didn't even think about it. I actually going to do that next next time that way. But he makes some really good. Like that's really what you want to hear. I'm much more. Uh, I I I hadn't really lost faith faith in Jarvis because I really didn't know like the context of them making this move. Uh, but hearing that that increases like just my confidence in as, as a pitcher. What about you? Yeah, I think it's a case where. I think the D-backs feel like they're missing something from the roster and they're going to try and get Jarvis to try and fill that missing void. More or less like a yeah. sort of, uh, fact that he bounces back so well from his outings and I'm going to pull up some velocity readings. So interestingly enough, so on two days rest, he was going from, so after appearing out of the bullpen, throwing 23 pitches again, on July 28th with uh, bounce his velocity bounced back the same as 96, seven on the four seam fastball average velocity on July 28th comes back again on July 30th against the same team. Although it's only two fastballs and 11 pitches, 96, seven. Then he comes out again three days later. And that fastball velocity is 96. So you can tell his fastball velocity is able to hold. Starts, but as he's throwing more pitches, I think his average velocity drops a little bit. But that's a workload thing. If he only threw like 20 25 pitches an outing, he'd probably hit see a lot. His average velocity would be 97 versus 96. I'm just really that's exactly like that's one thing you want to look for when a guy is making the transition from starter to reliever is okay, does, does the velocity still play from appearance to appearance? Is does it increase? From, I mean, there's one you have to kind of make the adjustment because you're you're one, you're not used to giving it like, you know, because like a lot of people compare it to driving a car with, you know, you can, you can, 
you have a set amount of gas in the tank. Uh, you don't want to just punch it the minute, you know, you get in when you're a starter, you want to kind of make that gas last. And with a reliever, you don't need it as much. If he's bouncing back like that and his velocity is increased, uh, it's very promising to hear that. And that might be what we're missing. That might be what we're missing is a guy who, you know, you can throw out there every couple of days and who's, who's capable of going deeper in like, you know, uh, more than an inning. We can go two, three innings if we need to. I think his longest relief appearance was two innings. That was twice. But yeah, so basically the driving car analogy is also the same analogy that he used. And I think it's really like he seems to have a really good handle on, you know, what it's going to take for him to be successful as a reliever. Uh, did, did very insightful, the interview with him. It really gives me a better sense of his, like I said, he's a very intelligent guy. I love his answers. Uh, he's a, a Duke alumnus, if you, yep. if I remember correctly what you said yesterday. And like no, no, Duke's no. academic, this the academics to, to, to be good there, like have good grades. Like he really, it says a lot about him as a, like I, Actually, uh, we they uh, was it Pipeline just released their, their updated rankings and they have them at thirtieth, and that yeah, is like ridiculous. That's ridiculous. There are not twenty nine better prospects in this organization than Bryce Jarvis. Heck, there might not even be twenty. But then we yeah, see, I, whether I mean, or not there's fifteen is when we start the debate. Yeah, that's debatable. There's there's probably maybe ten or fifteen guys that I would say like might be better but Jarvis that's that seems way too low a ranking and like this def- definitely ups my ranking into the at least the 10 to 15 maybe 15 to 20 like depending on how he adjusts from this uh this transition I'd like to see him I'd like to see him make some successful outings uh out of the bullpen in for the major league team yeah I think we're gonna see him sooner rather than later I think like I said the bullpen moves to get him to the big leagues this year so That's I, what it sounds so like. I think they're going to give him some time to adjust in the bullpen. Obviously, they're not going to call up now. I think so. Keep an eye on him for September first, in my opinion. Yeah, that and seems like the also, most likely timeline. And then he also gave us a great, uh, great quote about pitching in Amarillo and Reno. It's like guys first get there. They the reputation of it being a how hitter friendly it is and. Amarillo is probably the most hitter-friendly ballpark in the minor leagues. No, find it interesting is the this... most environmentally hitter-friendly ballpark in the minor leagues, according to Baseball America, 100th percentile. You would think Reno would be a, a tougher environment to pitch in, but really, no. Amarillo's got like all the qualities that make you know a, a, the environment tough. It's there's there's winds, crosswinds. Imagine. The ball flies because of like the climate there. It is at just enough elevation. 3,600 elevation. And also it's a small ball, smaller ballpark. Like Coors Field, at least it's mitigated by the fact it's a giant ballpark with big fences. The unfortunate thing with Coors now is that it is like hitter friendly because the outfield is so big. Like, yeah, okay. The home run rate is what you see. And the Rockies don't seem to figure out how to get rid of those hits, although they're starting to draft rangy outfield types like the backs have been doing 
for years. Yeah, that's that's really what they're going to need to do. But I mean, that's the thing that I love his attitude of just you know he he his stuff is good enough. He trusts his stuff. That is so like honestly that moves my grade for his makeup from a fifty to like a seventy. So yeah, one interesting topic. I asked. Uh, they do the automatic ball strike system in the Pacific Coast League on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. Of course, that's not in the article, but that was some something I asked him in the interview. If you ever, if I ever decide to put it up, uh, we might do that because uh, it's a great. Tell us in the interview. comments. Put it in the comments yeah. if you want to. If you want to hear the interview, five likes. And if and we have I'll enough people, it. if we have enough people commenting or liking her. Or, you know, it, it just indicate that you want to hear this interview. And if we get enough people on it, we will post it on the channel. Five likes and I'll post it. It'll just be a, it'll just be a still picture of Bryce Jarvis, but it'll be the audio. <laughs> but uh, so interestingly enough, when he gets to the big leagues, he'll be the third pitcher from that 2020 class to hit the big leagues. And of course, uh, Sacconi already debuted. He'll start tonight. Brandon Fott is making improvements as well. What do you think? Uh. What, is, what does it say when you have five picks and three of them are in the major leagues or will be in the major leagues within three years? It says, oh, I mean, that draft looks a lot better. Got to say, like, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're producing arms in your draft that show up in the major league, I mean, even if they're not the best and these guys are so young that like, there's really, we won't know for another two or three years what we really got here. Um, cool. It says, That's, it says a lot. I feel a lot better about that draft now, uh, knowing that we have, these arms coming through and there's still guys that could still make it from that draft. Yeah. Vukovic is on Vukovic is pretty close himself too. He's definitely put him. He's definitely, knew, uh, I would say we knew his development year. would take a while. We would, we knew his development would take a while. I actually think Vukovic, Vukovic is ahead was, of schedule. He was very, he, I mean, yeah, he is, but he still, we knew that he'd take, you know, at least two, three years, a minimum. Um, so he's, I mean, I was thinking more like three, four, which is actually, Seems to be the timeline. I mean, what Brandon schedule? He was very rough as a prospect when he was drafted, though. Other than like I mean, this, the ridiculous power. Yeah, I was to say Vukovic was basically a one-tool guy. Yeah, that was a very loud tool, and also he doesn't really have awful other tools either. It's good. Like, they're good enough. Nothing worse. It's like he's got seventy power, and everything else is a forty-five. It is a forty-five tool to me. So yeah, that draft is looking a lot better. Um, I know there's so a even, few. So even if Liam Norris never gets past high A, it's like that four out of, you're going to have four out of five big leaguers and probably two starting pitchers out of that draft. Was Tristan English in that draft? No, he was in the Corbin oh, Carroll the draft. Year oh, okay, that's right. Uh, let me pull that up. I don't remember all the Third names. Third rounder in 2019. Oh, okay, that's right. He's a guy who's kind of turned it around this last season. He's one of those um, guys that I think will be uh, – I think one of those guys that I think you rate higher than he actually is because that I look at that strikeout rate and I'm like, Egh. I see a guy like here's my definition of like okay, he's a, just he's the a, fact that he a late rounder like him could make the major leagues. I mean he's gonna I think Tristan English will will be called to make the league at some point if not by the Diamondbacks by some other team. He's got good enough. I'm not, I'm not saying he's gonna be an all star. I'm not even gonna say he's gonna have like hold down a backup job i'm just saying that he you know just just to have guys make the major leagues in your draft i mean sometimes you can make it out of high a 
Okay, yeah, Slate, Slate Jaconi, Liam Norris, Vukovic, Fott. Um, I mean, that was a, that was an abbreviated draft, but the hit on that mini in such a, an abbreviated draft is very impressive. All right, so since we mentioned Sacconi, obviously he's a nice starter for the Diamondbacks. Uh, be going up against Blake Snell, who we mentioned in the Cy Young race. That's your game one. Game one of the series. The D-backs announced Sacconi, Nelson, and I mean, sorry, I think it was Sacconi, Gallon, Nelson for the series. Remember correctly, so I'm gonna pull let that me, up. Let me pull it up myself. Uh, I think tonight you'd expect uh, Snell to take that. Um, I mean, I right now he's a better a better pitcher than Jacone. but um, I wouldn't count the dime. I mean, like now I would count the Diamondbacks out because they have not been great. Hopefully, they can break out of this slump. Uh, we've been saying it for the last week, two weeks. Oh, sorry, no. I take that back. Sacconi's not starting today. It's Ryan Nelson. Okay. That gallon Brandon fought. That's, that's kind of interesting. So with the off days, the D-backs have basically uh, forgotten Slade Sacconi's existence. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what that's about, but... Um, sorry, I got it for a minute. Let me pull it up. Yeah, so Blake Nell, Ryan, Ryan Nelson. Tomorrow will be uh, Dick Mountain versus Zach Gallon. Uh, Rich Hill, if you're not familiar with yeah. the name. And no, Seth not Lugo the Rich Hill that for the... Not the Boston Rich Hill. That gave him my first yeah, this opportunity. Is, this is a different... Uh, Rich Hill is like... I mean, he's 43. Not the guy he was even a couple years ago. Um, yeah. Even, po- funny- even post, post-resurrection Rich Hill, he's not the same guy. I think the Diamondbacks, obviously, they stand the best chance tomorrow against with gallon going against him. Uh, the next game after that is a toss up to me between, I mean, Seth Lugo is not like he's making excuses his last start about how the, the Dodgers are stealing signs. And uh, their response was not nah, dude, you just aren't very good. So I'm paraphrasing because they use not nice words. I'm guessing the words bleeping suck. Yes, yes, that's exactly what they said. They said he's awful, and that's why they that's why he lost. Fought has really been great in his last two starts. So I mean, I would like to see them take two out of three against the San Diego team. The San Diego team has been arguably worse than than the Diamondbacks. They just had a team meeting, like we talked about yesterday after uh, the day before yesterday's game. Um, and I will be covering Sunday's game for Inside the Diamondbacks. Is that is confirmed? Yeah. So you you want to you want to you really want to hope that they take Saturday and Sunday. Today, I think is more of a toss up. Today's, uh, today's you think can the Diamondbacks take advantage of the walk? Uh, is Blake Snell going to stop walking guys because the Diamondbacks offense is terrible, or is it uh, the Diamondbacks strain runners in scoring position to f- continue to feel the monster that Blake Snell is still worse than his actual ERA is? Or do they actually punish those walks for once? Yeah, I mean, they have the ability to do so. Like we are saying before we started, uh, this team can steal bases. If you walk Corbin Carroll, you walk uh, Jake McCarthy, they, they, you should be punished for doing that. And they haven't really, like, like they've just been straining the third when they do that. I really, like, you, you hope that they can take advantage of this. 
That's my and hope. I know a lot of people are expecting run. them to do what you were saying, which is either just strand them or strand them at third. As the, the big problem also is they're during this skid, they're also making very bad base running decisions. Yeah. And it's Thomas McCarthy, Perdomo. For the most part, Carroll's done a good job. I think Carroll's actually done a pretty good job of not running into those outs. He learns quickly bases. from his mistakes. Corbin Carroll's I, can't say, I have not seen Corbin Carroll repeat the same mistake like twice in a row. Like he learns very quickly when he when he messes up. That's one of the things I love about Corbin is that he just uh, he's very good at turning around whenever whenever he messes up. And also, uh, I don't think Tori actually has to harp on him too much. It's like usually Carroll's already, already knows. Carroll's harder on himself than everyone else is. Of course, uh, we're all hyping up Corbin Carroll as the next great, uh, the f- the face of the franchise, the next great player. Could he be better than Paul Goldschmidt? Career wise, apples. That's that's apples and oranges to some extent. They're very two, two very different, different ty- players. Slugging first baseman that hits for average and then uh, speedy outfielder that with uh, speedy outfielder with surprising power. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're two very different players, and also like a a component. You would expect Corbin Carroll. Like, I mean, Paul Goldie is kind of, uh, he's very different. The end result from what he was when like, even like, like he went from being not a prospect to like on the major league team being the Goldie that we know and love, uh, or resent, I guess for some people. Um, I don't think the fan base resents Goldschmidt at all. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's more the, the ownership and trading. him. I, I think that, Honestly, it was fair to 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 predict a decline for him. Like you can't predict a guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's that's the career track that he's on. You can't predict the Corbin Carroll's going to be a Hall of Famer. He could he could you know blow out his knees and never play another game. It happens. Predicted, although if he stays healthy, I could say he's got a decent shot. He's got a, he's out anyone anyone on the roster? Yeah, he probably has the best. Oh yeah, shot. speaking of Goldschmidt, he's having his worst OPS plus season since two thousand nineteen. What is it? What is it is that this one, year? 121. <laughs> well, yeah, 121. That's that's uh, better than some guys do their whole career. Um, I mean, it's not. Yeah, like it looks like Goldie is. A- it's, it's he's finally in his decline phase, in my opinion. Yeah, we're calling a 121 OPS plus a decline, but that's 22 points below his career average. Yeah, that's why it's a decline phase. It's not as good. Then you're in your I mean, phase. you're not putting the same the same number. He's past his peak at the very least. Yeah, his power's starting to drop. I think. Yeah, but then again, that, that Cardinals have been not good. This is the worst Cardinals team I've seen in like 20 years. Um, like it's he doesn't have the same lineup protection. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. not the same. It's not not the same lineup that he's had. And you know, you know, throughout his whole guys career. aren't getting on in front of him. Yeah, so that yeah. definitely hurts hurts Goldie a little bit, but I think I mean I don't. It seems like it's a little uh, premature to predict his his decline phase. Let's get back to I San always... Diego though. Is it Juan Soto's? Uh, is it he was on a Hall of Fame track? Um, yeah, we I didn't this year. Kind of... This year was the first time he struck out four times in a game. Juan Soto's strikeout rate this year is over twenty percent for the first time since twenty nineteen. Yeah, we're, we're talking about a guy that strikes out less in his last three years has struck out less than 15% of the time. And he has his lowest walk rate since 2019. And he's still 10 years younger than me. 
Juan Soto is still, and Juan Soto hasn't, well, has he turned, Juan Soto is still 24 years old. Like, Juan Soto has got, Juan Soto is only 10 days younger than Fott, and he's already got, uh, he's got 27B war. That's a yeah, I mean, craziest career has been seen. He's not the Juan Soto he was, you know, basically with the Nationals. He hasn't been the same player since then. I really don't. I don't know what's going on with the San Diego team. I think some of it, it's it's clubhouse conflict. There's so many, like, big personalities. You know, you got your Machado. You got Soto. You've got uh, Xander. Uh, I'm missing another guy. I wonder what would have happened if you put Juan Soto and Bryce Harper in the same clubhouse. Obviously, that never – they were only together for one year. But I don't think uh, there's any well issues. long enough to win a World Series. Harper wasn't there. Oh, yeah, it was the year before. That's right. Um, Juan Soto got that hit that Trent Grisham kind of bobbled and not allowed the go-ahead run the score. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, looking at this team, I mean, Matt, Matt Carpenter. How did Juan Soto right. not make an all-star team at 2019 is what I want to know. And then, of course, you got uh, Tatis Jr. That's what it was for game. Um, yeah, still- this team is just not the same there's just too much clubhouse conflict. The the lineup is not clicking. Like you, we were all. I mean, most pundits were predicting like an offensive juggernaut, and they have not been that this year. I feel like there's an issue when you try and build your team exclusively through free agency. You can't. It doesn't. You can't do that trades. anymore. The only times I've seen that work are '97 Marlins, '01 backs and even then. We largely got, you know, most of our offensive value from a guy we acquired in trade, Luis Gonzalez. I mean, if you look Although at the Reggie, San- Reggie Sanders gave us a gave us a ton of value out of free agency. People forget about him. I mean, if you look at the and, 2001 Diamondbacks, they were assembled in free agency, but uh, it, it was built that way. But they had been together. Most of the players had been together already at the end of the 2000 season after Schilling came on. Yeah, and RJ was in his third year with the Diamondbacks. I forgot, yeah, Schilling was required to trade. So, like, I mean, that team was assembled, you know, majorly through free agency and trades of guys who... Uh, and then you had your... I mean, guy, Schilling had- requested a trade to us, actually. He was, like, trading to Arizona after the other team. Uh, so, that's kind of this falling in your lap. Gonzo, by far, is, like, the best and then Gonzo obviously ever had. And, and then Gonzo took advantage know. of the dry air to go nuts. Yeah. Gonzo was... It's like, and then uh, I'm going to assume he. W- I'm going to assume that he was clean because there's no, there's nothing. There's nothing on him. I I actually am of the opinion that much more people very. Like, I don't I don't know if he'd be clean by today's standards. Is really the way I look at it is because there's some things that like Androgel when when it was in uh, McGuire's locker, it was legal. Like it was legal over counter. If it's legal, like, I'm not going to hold it against them. If it was, I mean, that's sanctioned. yeah, that's one. So I mean that's the real thing is I'd love I'd love for Gonzo's O one to have been clean. I would not put money on it. I mean, no offense to him, but everyone else was juicing and every, even people like I mean the real problem was um uh, guys felt the pressure to use. Yep. Like, okay, like I can't compete. Like even even Barry, Barry felt pressure to use. I mean he saw what Mark McGuire and and uh Sammy were doing and felt the need to use himself. Like, I mean, that says a lot to me. And he's already one of the, you know, first ballot hall of famer at that point. Um, so I mean, I look at it that way. And then again, there's guys like a rod who were using in high school, apparently 
which I don't know why they didn't get more talk about some that. Some guys used to supposedly using steroids back then. To build it's like if you're using steroids to build muscle, I can consider that cheating. But if you're, I think uh, what Mark Gruar said claimed that he used it to uh, recover because he was already a muscled up guy. He was he was using steroids with Canseco in in with the A's man like Bash yeah. Brothers. That was the thing. I mean, I the only thing, the only guy I really am not. On one hand, I don't know. I think Ricky Henderson definitely was not easy. I mean, there's the one. He has the one thing about him, which is that he aged really, really well. Like guys who aged got better. Those are the big red flags. That's why you look at like Gonzo or like Matt. Matt Williams, you know, used. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's a whole that's a whole can of bags here. So it's very different. But like, I almost feel like we have to throw out the last like all the prospect evaluations prior to 05, like in terms of the lessons you learn from them. Cause there's a lot of guys that like, you know, like if you look at Canseco prior to juicing versus after he turns completely different guy, you look at a uh, Juan, Juan Gonzalez, same thing. Um, so like, you can't, you can't project the same. Th- like, I mean, a lot, of, I think something like the, the bias towards these really toolsy outfielders comes from to some extent, guys in the 90s and 80s who juiced and turned into like just beasts and uh that doesn't happen as much now or corbin carroll if we're talking about players yeah yeah i mean he's definitely corbin carroll he (laughs) i don't know if he'd benefit from using steroids honestly just because he's like i think it would it would it would hurt his mobility yeah I mean, the recovery, that's where a lot of guys, a lot of guys like steroids helped them is that it wasn't necessarily an increase of power or whatever. It, it, it increases your ability to, to recover. Like years like, uh, like Barry Bonds is one uh, would he have stayed healthy through the whole season hitting like that without having steroids aiding in his recovery? And like he went off in September, if you remember correctly, like Barry went off in September and August. And that's really like, it's, there's some, like I said, the lessons that you learned back then, I don't know if they necessarily apply to prospect evaluation. Like, they, they, you know, I think we've learned some bad lessons from the steroid era. How would you view So let's cap it off with this question. How would you uh, honor the steroid era in the Hall of Fame? Barry Bonds would be in, the, be in the Hall of Fame. I think the guys who lied, like Roger, Roger Clemens, I don't think Roger Clemens should, I mean, on one hand, Roger Clemens was one of the best starting pitchers of the 80s and 90s. In the early 2000s. On the other hand, dude was juicing since 86. He lied in front of Congress. Uh, Barry was basically singled out. The reason why he's not in Hall of Fame, anything has anything to do with steroids, has to do with his relationship with the media. The same thing as like Dick Allen or uh, some other names that we were like, you know, it's like the media penalizing them for, you know, not being like the, the nicest guy. Like so, like those names, Schilling like, too. Yeah, Kurt Schilling. That's why he's not. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if Schilling did steroids. I actually would think that he did. Just no, I, mean, I don't. No, Schilling didn't take steroids. I'm talking about relationship with the media type. But his re- relationship with the media is uh, a big reason why batting just can't like this. The stuff that he's been involved with post career has really just been a bad look overall. Um, he's very adversarial with media. You know, I mean, that's what I think is the big the, those names. It's because of the relationship with me has nothing to do with steroids. Barry should be in the Hall of Fame. A Rod, I don't think he should. He's actually did. He got busted. First of all, yeah, if you had a dirty test and you were suspended, you do not belong in the Hall of Fame. The guys that did it before, when it was technically legal under the the rules, um, 
not like federally legal on that. Actually, I think steroids were made illegal in like the mid eighties or early nineties. Um, yeah, those guys, the people who had dirty tests and we know for a fact they had dirty tests or lied and perjured themselves. Uh, Rocky Elping and Palmero is a big one. Um, those guys shouldn't be in the hall of fame. Barry's a weird case because he's the only one that they actually like charged with anything. And he was only charged with just lying to Congress. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he knew what he was putting in his body. I don't believe him in that. Like, he's like, oh, they gave me some cream and they gave me this. And, uh, you know, I was like, it's oh, black seed oil. I was like, come on, Barry. Really? I mean, Barry's actually a very smart guy. He had good grades in ASU, in college, in high school. Dude's smart. Um, yeah. he, he had to have known. I mean, it's, that's the only real question I have with, with Barry is, is, like, if he came clean about it, that's the thing I want to see from, like, Sammy Sosa. No. Send him in the Hall of Fame. I don't even. With Mark McGuire, I don't even know if he's a good enough player to get in the Hall of Fame. Mark McGuire is not good enough. He was a he was a one dimensional player. I mean, all he did was hit home runs. He had very empty, like this. It was like singles and home runs. And he was very much like the three true outcomes before that was acceptable. Yeah, um, only two hundred fifty two doubles and six triples. Obviously, he's not going to hit triples. Yeah, he didn't have the mobility to hit triples. Yeah, so the guy like Farmer Wire, I don't think he was necessarily good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, how do you not have the home all-time home run leader? I mean, Pete Rose is a different thing. He's got all kinds of off-field issues that that disqualify him. As different different bags, similar thing. Of the the character clause shouldn't apply because the guy's not nice to the media. That's bullshit. Okay, now uh, what was his name? The guy who was touching the clubhouse. Uh, like a mentally uh, disabled clubhouse uh, attendant or like cowboy or something like that for who it was. Um, who was it? So guy like I that. I know there's like things like that. I can't think of his name. I know Pete Rose had a relationship with an underage girl. Those, and Roger Clemens too. I forgot about that. Roger Clemens, uh, Mindy McCready. You don't know about that. Google it. Um, don't want to go in there, but those kind of those things, yeah, those are just more disqualifying to me than doing steroids or being not nice. Like Dick Allen belongs in the Hall of Fame. Is he in the Hall of Fame now? I think maybe that. I think he's like up next veteran to me. I don't think he is. I think he's famously no. like the highest war that's not in the Hall of Fame, other than like Barry and all that. Like, but prior to the steroid era, Sheffield, I think he was not there, but I view it as Gary Sheffield wasn't a good enough defender. But you, if Gary Sheffield were put in the Hall of Fame, I wouldn't even raise an objection. I wouldn't blink at that. But Sheffield's the guy who definitely did steroids. Um, he says he didn't, but you can look at, you look at the way he aged. Like man, did steroids? It's very obvious. And also the character claw. I mean, he he's a guy who's probably not in the Hall of Fame, not just because of that, but because very famously didn't get along with the media. Um, where is it? Dick Allen. Let's talk about him, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh. Bill James rated Dick Allen as the second most controversial player in baseball history after Rogers Hornsby. Roger Hornsby's in the Hall of Fame, then the character clause doesn't mean shit. I mean, he's the whole re- he's one of the reasons why we had segregation in baseball is guys like Roger Hornsby basically said, I'm not gonna play if I gotta play with people of a different race. And like that, if you're gonna allow a guy like Roger Hornsby into the Hall of Fame. And then exclude a guy like Dick Allen or Barry or Gary Sheffield or the character clause. 
there's no there's no consistency there's no like internal consistency in the logic of that you know what i'm saying you're asking too much if you're going for that angle okay uh dick allen 292 batting average 534 slugging percentage 378 on base percentage he had uh of the players with 500 or more career home home runs whose play intersected with Dick Allen's career at the beginning or end. Only Mickey Mantle's lifetime OPS of 172 top Dick Allen's 156 lifetime OPS plus. That by my saying, he played in uh, some very pitcher-friendly ballparks too. Bush Memorial Stadium, uh, Dodger Stadium, and Comiskey, the old Comiskey. So, I mean, the guy like that, I don't understand the controversies behind, like, I just think along with me, you know, celebrate his, you know, career. He's done to me. 156 OPS plus to me is Hall of Fame level. Yeah, that's that's my point. That's very much stands out for itself. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I think most of the the steroid era guys should be in the Hall of Fame. There's a few that are exceptions that that drop dirty. Uh, and like actually we're t- I mean there's there's an exception to the guys that were leaked in the Mitchell report. So that would be like uh, obviously David Ortiz is the famous one, which is like he's. He's already in. Any minute, any minute he'll get on that and disputing it, but he's already in, so the point's moot. Um, if your only evidence of their musing is the Mitchell report, then if, if it doesn't count for David Ortiz, it shouldn't count against the rest of the guys. Yeah. I think the other big name was Manny Ramirez, but Ramirez already has, an, already has a positive drug test from 09. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, man, Manny Ramirez was using... Uh, Cholesterol. It's like I forget the actual, but it's like used to mask. Uh, what do you got underneath my name, man? Uh, <laughs> filler. Yeah, no. So M- Manny Ramirez. Uh, he very much looks like he was trying to avoid uh, getting a dirty test by taking. Uh, or I think I forget if it's like it's used to mask uh, steroids or if it's to like balance out your your testosterone and other hormones. I forget. Either way, it's very suspicious for him to do it. He's another exception. So that's my line I draw. Okay. If you is against the rules at the time, you're getting drug tested, you were suspended for it. So like that, that rules out. Uh, what's his name? With the uh, second baseman, played for Seattle and the Yankees, dropped 30. What's his name? God damn it. All right. Got to wrap it up real quick. So once we get to that. What's his name? I can't think of it. What was the name? Maybe I can look it up. Played for the set. He played for, he came up with the Yankees. Robinson Cano. Cano. There we go. Yeah, Cano is the one example. I'll, I'll finish off with that and we'll wrap it up. Is positive drug he test. Positive drug test. I mean, by all other metrics, he's a Hall of Famer. And he ruined his Hall of Fame. Like, I mean, that that's the, the line that we're drawing now is he's had, I think, multiple dirty tests. I think he's had two. So, to me, that's a disqualifier. Um, I wouldn't hold it against anyone, but I'm saying like, you know, it's, you got to have a draw line stand somewhere. And where is it? That's that to me is it. I mean, it was, it was, it was acceptable for players to take tons of amphetamines in the seventies and we don't hold that against them. But that's my point. I'm a little more lenient than most people. All right. So thanks everyone for watching today. This episode a little bit longer than usual, but, uh, and we like we kept rolling for the Hall of Fame rant. So, anyways, 
make sure to um, hit that subscribe like, button. Leave a like. Like the video. Subscribe to our channel. Leave a comment and hit that notification bell. Follow us on Twitter. Michael is at Michael McBMLB. I am at Byer Wesley. Uh, you can also check out my YouTube channel. It's at Essential. Um, it's mostly this playlist right now. But I hope everyone has a great day. Um, we'll see you next week. All right. Yep. Monday.